Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Hey, this is Anna David. You're listening to After Party Pod, or more accurately, you're about to listen to After Party Pod. It's a podcast about addiction and recovery. It's released every uh, other Friday. I say that. I say Friday. I even say that to myself, yet I load it on Thursday, sometimes even Wednesday. I don't know why. It goes on to SoundCloud a little bit earlier. This is all terribly disorganized, but anyway... That's what you're listening to. It's been around for a couple of years. Every other week, I speak to a actor or a writer or a comedian or a none of those things about their own addiction and recovery and, uh, and other things. Uh, today, my guest is a lovely lady. Wait, hold on. I didn't get into anything else. What else do I want to tell you? I'm going to get into the lovely lady in two seconds. Uh, After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, which is a website that I run, uh, and we post 12, so we post two stories a day about addiction and recovery, but After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, which is the most comprehensive rehab reviews uh, information site out there in the world. We have, you know, 3,500 reviews of rehabs. I bet you didn't even know there were that many rehabs to review. If you are looking for a rehab, it is the resource. We have them for all price points all over the country. It's all on the site. So go check that out. And also check out uh, Danielle Stewart and I now do something called After Party Answers, which is a video series where we answer a listener's slash reader's question every week. We post it on Wednesdays. If you have a question you would like us to answer, all you got to do is email info at theafterpartygroup.com and we will answer it. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter. And if you do that, we will give you a free copy of our ebook, How I Got Sober, 10 Addicts Share Their Stories. All you have to do is go to afterpartynewsletter.com and it is yours. It's $1.99 on Amazon. So I just gave you $2. You're welcome. Now I'm going to get into the lovely lady who is my guest today. Christina Beck is a director, writer, actress. She was in uh, a bunch of Penelope Spheris movies growing up. She was in Suburbia, Boys Next Door, Dudes. She was a punk rock chick. You'd never know it today. She's this beautiful, refined blonde, but she was a punk rock chick. And so she now has a movie out, and it is called 
Perfection. She wrote it, and she stars in it, and uh, directed it, and it is her movie. And as she explains, well, she explains in this interview how you can see it, because you can now see it. It's been due in the festival circuit, and it's been a long time in the making. And the movie focuses on a topic that is one that makes people very uncomfortable. Um, it is self-harm. And uh, it is it is disturbing and it is real and it is in the movie and in this interview, Christina talks about her own experiences with it. Uh, we've done very few stories on After Party Magazine about self-harm, but it is, um, it is definitely a topic that should be discussed more. I completely get people's reticence to discuss it and, um, and it's real. And uh, yeah, if you have any experience with that, you know, uh, and you want to share about it, you can email me. I, I respond to every email. You can email me about that or anything else, Anna at theafterpartygroup.com. That is it for me. Now I'm going to give you Christina back. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So let's get into this. Um, thank you for doing this. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's been a long time kind of in the making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so let's get into it. You know, as we were just saying off mic, I'm just going to launch right into yeah. it. I was just going to say though, Yeah. I just said, oh my God. Are you? <laughs> and I am from the Valley. Did oh you know God. that? No. And but I never say that. I, I say it all the time, and I'm not you? from the Valley. Okay, well, yeah. Are, are you self-conscious that you said, well, oh, my God? Well, I just realized that, because someone said the other day, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from the Valley. And they said, oh, you don't sound like you're from the Valley. You and don't. I, and I said, oh, that's interesting. And the first thing I said to you was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Where do you? You sound like you're from. You, do you have a sort of, I'm going to say a slight accent? Of some, people say this to me, and yeah. I have none. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have one. You have a specific speaking voice. Well, I don't know what that means. I, it's completely unconscious, right? But, as it should be. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I don't. I don't try to speak a certain way, but I guess it's just all my life experience kind of comes into your me to your larynx, yeah, and it yeah. all comes out with what you say. Somehow, now, when yeah. you remember when the song "The Moon Unit Zappa" song came out, yes. That was like such a big deal. That was, so imagine in the valley. Well, that you was know, a really big deal. Yeah, it, it's really funny because more than that, when the movie Valley Girl came oh, out, oh, was that after or before? They were both seminal seem, in my adolescence. Yeah, they, I know, mine too. Yeah, they seem kind of around the same time. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but you know, we were all sort of like, oh, it's so stupid, and and you know, rewatching that film, that film's brilliant. Oh by yeah, the way. yeah, yeah. Nicholas Cage is amazing in it, and the woman who, or the young girl who plays his love interest, Debbie Foreman, she's like adorable, and Sonny Bono plays her dad, and it's like, it like this, this great movie. But you know, we just poo pooed it back then because it was just like, oh yeah, you know, like, oh Valley movie, stupid, uh, you know. And so yeah, anything to do with sort of, I don't know that negative. Connotation yeah, about yeah. you guys we or just whatever. Really, yeah, although I never really identified with that. However, being from the valley and then going into the punk rock scene when I was early, <clears throat> excuse me, early early teens, 
We would pretend like we weren't from the valley. You were. Where were you supposedly from? Mars. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you grew up there and you got into the punk rock scene. I didn't Mm -hmm. know this about you. It's hard to imagine looking at the refined, sophisticated woman sitting here with me today. Thank you. Um, So how did that happen? Well, um, it's interesting. I've been writing about it recently a friend of mine's been wanting me to write about it for years and uh-huh. I was like oh everyone's done it and who cares and whatever but it is um you know it's part of my story for yeah. sure um so okay I'm from the valley mm-hmm. I went to North Hollywood High School mm-hmm. at that time and um are we on we're totally going <laughs> I, I I'll check this periodically just ignore me I'm just paranoid all right so um so at that time um there were these clubs, these like girl clubs. They were like they were sororities mm-hmm. in high school, and there were these two prominent girl clubs. And my best friend Karen and I, we like pledged for this one club, and it was you know the beginning of tenth grade, and we had to like go through this like insane like pledge week, and it was like a big deal to get accepted, and so we we got in, mm-hmm. and literally the night before like the big initiation. Um, the same friend was like, oh, you know, there was this guy, Matt, who had a truck. Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we didn't drive. Mm-hmm. And he, she's like, oh, Matt's going to the Whiskey to see a punk rock band. We should go. And I was like, all right. And I was like, okay. So we go to the Whiskey, mm-hmm. and the Cramps are playing. And I remember looking at them on stage and looking around and just like, oh, my God. Like, I found my oh, people. Yeah. I found my people. And then the next day, we like met all these like cool people from Hollywood, all these artists and musicians, and just you know eccentric, fabulous people. And they came over to my friend Karen's house in the valley, and we took a bunch of acid. Right. The the girl club that we were supposed to be a part of came knocking at the door because we weren't at the initiation. They were like, "You're supposed to be at the initiation," and we were frying on acid, laughing our asses off, and just like that was it. Right. I never went back to high school. I just never looked back. Like that was it. It just changed my whole life. It was not only like that was the turning point. Absolutely. That night. Absolutely. You dropped out of high school after that night. I did. I didn't. I had no reason to go. I mean, I went to continuation like for a minute because you know I just was trying to stay in school. But it was my nightlife just took off, and I. What grade were you in? Freshman, tenth grade, tenth grade. And and was it you know was it drugs? Was that fueling a lot of it, or were you just not interested in school, or both? Well. Both, kind of. Yeah, I just felt like it was kind of a waste of time. And it really was like, you know, I... I was out late at night, so it was hard to get up, and uh, and it wasn't stimulating. I didn't feel, you know, and God bless the little public school system in the valley at that time. You know, I hope it's better. I have no idea. But, you know, at that time, it was just really kind of droll, and we were, like, doing way more fabulous things. Right. <laughs> so it was like, right. Mm-mm. No, thank you. And how did your parents react to that? Well, my parents were uh, divorced by then, and... My mother was sort of in her reinventing herself, kind of not around, you mm-hmm. know, definitely mm-hmm. a lot of my friends, we all sort of had invisible parents at this point. So, um, yeah, we just kind of raised ourselves and did whatever we wanted. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. Mm-hmm. I have two brothers, two older brothers. Mm-hmm. and. Um, one's a half brother. He lives in Seattle, so he was out of the house and gone. Um, but my other brother, who's three years older, um, 
was in college at the time and he was an athlete and he was just, you know, and straight, straight A's, yeah. yeah, straight A student, and you know, I was sort of the, I guess, black sheep, but also like a hammy black sheep. Like mm-hmm. I was the sort of performer and always put on plays and shows. But the thing was, is when the punk rock thing came, that really wasn't cool. So right, I had right. to sort of put that in the back burner for a while. Right, right. Yeah. For forever? Or no? no, 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 no. No, because then, you know, jump to a few years later when I'm already, like, jaded at 17 and done with punk rock and everything, I end up getting cast in a movie called Suburbia right. that, with Penelope Spheris directed. Right. And, um, and then... You know, I had to dye my hair purple, and I was like, "Oh, what a drag! It's so boring! It's so passe!" And but it ended up being an amazing experience because it was just so fun to work with her, and right. she wrote this amazing script, and we, you know, again another life changing experience. Everyone I met on that film, not only am I still friends with today, which is crazy, crazy, but we it became like as corny as it sounds like when you do a film it's like oh we became a family but we really did I mean like we really did um we were all like we shot that film in Downey and so the producer would like give us money for a motel and all of us kids would like stay in the same room and like sleep together and you know did a lot of drugs drank and it was just like a big party but it was also like super fun and Mm -hmm. it was yeah it was a really fun experience and then it kind of brought me back to my acting roots Mm -hmm. which is something that I loved as a kid and Mm -hmm. so I was like oh okay this is it this is definitely what I want to do but it was cool by then. It wasn't putting mm-hmm. on shows. Did you do yeah. like the lip syncing uh, chorus line shows for your mother, or was that lip just syncing? Oh, you did I the real sang. thing. Are yeah, you I'm, I'm tone deaf. We had to do lip syncing, but God, it was good. Oh yeah, chorus line. Uh, yeah. Did you do chorus line? Of course. Yeah, that was yeah. huge tits yeah. and ass. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Or what's that sad song? Oh well, yeah. which one? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was obsessed with chorus line. Well, there's one singular sensation. Right, right. Okay, but that's not the sad one. Oh, yeah. oh, Morales. Yeah. The one about the acting oh teacher. Oh, my God, yes. You know. And then he dies. And then he dies, and she feels <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it's like, so, I didn't understand a lot of what happened, kind of like in Greece, but like, oh, I Greece. loved it so much. Oh, my God. Greece. Did you perform Greece with your friends? Yes. Were you Sandy? You were Sandy, of course. Mm, no, I liked Rizzo better. Oh, yeah. Good taste. I didn't know as a kid. Yeah. I didn't get that Rizzo was better. Yeah, no, Rizzo was a lot cooler. But yeah. there are worse things I could do. She got the great yeah. song. Yeah, that's true. So you're, yeah. are you a triple threat? Are you a dancer, actress, singer? Um, no, you know, I, I'd i love to be a dancer. I just never, I mean, I can move and stuff, but I didn't have that dancer's body. I didn't, you know, um, I didn't have, I think, the discipline. I mean, that's right. just a whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a real commitment. Yeah, um, and it was definitely not cool enough for the kind of teenager you were. No. <laughs> I did ballet. I, oh, you did? Yeah, I was cool, but not punk rock cool. Like, yeah. I still don't even understand. Like, I've never heard of the band that changed your life. Oh, Never okay. heard of them. Like, oh. What did you say? What are they cramps. called? Cramps. Never heard of them. The Cramps. Nope. Yeah. So, great. okay, and so then after, you know, you discover, you rediscover acting, then what happens? Yeah, so then um, I did, I'm, Penelope put me in two other films of hers, which were, Similar kinds of films, and just recently they had a screening of this one called Dudes, which kind of came and went. Mm-hmm. Um, it also Flea was in it as well. He mm-hmm. was in Suburbia too, and uh, 
John Cryer and this guy Daniel Roebuck and it's so they, <laughs> we saw it like a, like a month ago they had a thing at UCLA like a, a tribute to Penelope and so John showed up and Daniel and it was like we were watching this movie and we're like oh my god it's so inappropriate on so many levels right. like you just couldn't make that movie today um, but, uh, but yeah so that was fun I played Leaving's girlfriend and Leaving was a, um, a punk rock guy like older punk rock guy he was in a band called Fear mm-hmm. and he was kind of scary and stuff and then he but then he had like this whole acting career because he went on he was in um, Flashdance and he was in a bunch of movies who was he in Flash in the most important movie of my life right much, who was he in I don't know probably the bad sexy guy oh no Peter Green was a was okay. a bad and maybe I'm who knows who knows but anyway yeah I think he was yeah or okay. maybe maybe it was Footloose anyways you know they're, they're all so different yeah, stop yeah. I grew up as a dancer stop it <laughs> Sorry, um, um, but then he, yeah. So I played his girlfriend, and uh, and then this other film that Penelope did called The Boys Next Door, yeah. which is like nuts. It's a it's with Charlie Sheen and Maxwell Crawfield, and they're these two young guys that go on a killing spree. And how did you get uh, hooked up with Penelope in the first place? How did that happen? Punk rock, really, because the the scene in L.A. was very. Um, it was very tight. Like if you went out to clubs at night, like you knew everybody, and mm-hmm. there and we would call it the scene. Like mm-hmm. basically, there were people that were in the scene, and then posers that mm-hmm. wanted to be in the scene, and then you know, things kind of kept morphing because as it got bigger and it got a little more public, um, like people from Orange County would come up and different bands, and that's when things got sort of violent and a little like. Not as fun, honestly. Mm-hmm. It just got kind of creepy, um, like jocks and stuff. And then it became like more about this really aggressive thing. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, it wasn't really like that. It was really more artistic. A lot of, you know, actors and musicians and mimes and you know, like right, dancers right, and right. you know, it was very, very, um, you know, just a big bursting outlet of creativity, like mm-hmm. in the. In the in this small little area in Hollywood, and then it just kind of morphed into other things, as mm-hmm. things do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yes, yeah, so I knew Penelope, because she made a documentary mm-hmm. called The Decline of the Western Civilization, right. which was like her first, I think, film, feature film. And, um, and that basically showed a lot of people from the mm-hmm. scene and stuff. And then she wrote this narrative piece, and mm-hmm. that was Suburbia, so... And so then, so you here you are having a great time, drugs, alcohol, all part of it, and what changed? Well, I, um, I really did always want to uh, pursue acting, and, um, and I wasn't a musician, really. Um, actually, from suburbia, a couple of people, uh, women, my friend Maggie and Mary, we formed a band. We were like an all-girl rap band. Nice. Called Toe Jam. Nice. And uh, yes, yeah, it was very fun. And there were these guys, um, I forgot what it was recently. Oh, um, well, Straight Outta Compton, watching that movie, which was such a great film. Such a great movie. Oh, my God. But there was that, they showed one of the clubs, like, down in the hood that was really around back then. And we would go down there. There was, there was a place downtown called The Radio. Mm-hmm. And Ice T was like the MC, and it was an after-hours club, and um, and so we played there, 
and there was a guy like we had all these like mixer guys and stuff so we would go down to south central and like you know practice rehearse we mm-hmm. were like these like three like white punk rock Did girls you, so was it just like hip-hop so nobody was there was no instruments or yeah no no it was just mixing stuff, yeah mixing records yeah and, yeah it was totally just hip-hop so and uh yeah it was totally dodgy like it was right we, you know like we like really stood out down there and uh and these guys were so cool and they kind of loved they were like oh these freaky punk rock chicks are kind of come down and and we would we just thought of all these raps and we were rapping ironically about drugs and like you shouldn't do drugs <laughs> we were totally doing drugs right it was kind of silly and really funny when i think back at it um but yeah so we we did that for a while but then i moved to new york because mm-hmm. i wanted to pursue um you know, a more serious acting career right. and all that. So uh, so I did that, and I studied, and that's when I started writing. Um, I always was a writer, kind of just journaler kind of person, you know, especially back when I was a teenager, you know, felt very misunderstood and, yes, you know, alone. And, uh, and I would write a lot just feelings and thoughts, which ironically is what I still do today. Yes. However, <laughs> you can make a career out of it as it turns out. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it is, you know, it really is an amazing tool. And I know, you know, that too, mm-hmm. you know, and it's funny that even back then intuitively, I knew I needed to express what was going on and getting it out on the yeah. page. Um, you know, now obviously I, I do it without drugs and alcohol, which is a gift. Yeah. Um, I was never very good at it with drugs and alcohol. Well, it's tricky. It's hard to read what you wrote. <laughs> it really does depend on, on the drug, frankly. Yeah. I was doing coke. Oh, oh yeah. And so it was a lot of rewriting the same line over and over again, trying to get it perfect <laughs> while chain smoking. Oh, you know, there yeah. wasn't like a lot of productivity. I, I, maybe there were for some people doing coke. What what were you doing? That was not my thing. Okay. No, definitely a drinker. And I liked downers. Uh-huh. I was really into that, like, you know, very sort of melodic. Like down. opiates yeah. or heroin? Yeah. Or? Well, eventually. Yeah. yeah. All roads led to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so did it get very dark in New York? Um, no. Ironically, in New York, um, I would, I sort of, uh, in the realm of drugs and alcohol is what we would call a periodic. Like yeah. Where, where, when I was a teenager, it was definitely a daily thing. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my biggest time, you know, drinking and using was, was when I was in my teens. And then when I got to New York in my early 20s, um, actually prior to that, I'll back up for a second. Um, when I was 21, I went to London because I wanted to study there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was about to, and I ended up, uh, I was staying with a friend of mine who um, was doing a lot of heroin mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. It was very cheap there. Um, and I probably did more heroin than I'd ever done in my life, you know, at that very condensed time. How long were you there? Um, I was there like a month. And um, and I was concerned. You know, then I was like, oh, wow. I were you snorting it or were you actually Smoking it, it actually, okay. back then. Because um, mm-hmm. it was, like I said, very cheap and yeah. really accessible. And um, and I had a, like what we would call a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my friend's flat and I looked out the window and it was my 21st birthday. And I was like, you know... 
I wouldn't mind playing a character like this, but I don't know if I could live her mm. life, you know? Like, I don't know if I can really sustain this lifestyle. And, um, and I came back to... I came back to L.A., and then I ended up moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so by then, I was not doing heroin. Mm-hmm. I stopped doing uh, drugs. But then I drank a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, not as much, you know. Mm-hmm. And I kind of sort of not consciously reinvented myself, but I was. I mm-hmm. was studying. I had this amazing acting teacher who was basically saying, look, you know, you guys have to start writing your own projects because the business is changing and you may not get the roles that you want to play, um, but you can tell your own stories. And When know, was that? Ooh, she was really prolific in terms of knowing that ahead of time. Yeah, it pretty was prescient, because like, like, yeah. that's what they're now saying today. <clears throat> well, of exactly. Yeah. I guess it kind of keeps turning over and over and over. But this was, pro- this was in the 90s. Yeah. And so, um, but we took it to heart and literally, and there was a group of women in that group and we created a theater company and we wrote stories and, um, and we had some of them produced. And then I wrote a play that was like a multimedia piece. It had music on stage, like live music. And then, um, the woman who directed it was a, a kind of prominent video director at the time. Her name's Modi. And so she, we shot a bunch of footage and so we had like the monitor on stage and it was basically a story it's called truth or consequences and mm-hmm. it's a story about a young junky girl who lives with her parents in a motel room and because uh, they were lounge singers and how you know basically it's a, it's <laughs> it has a it has a horrible ending basically everyone dies of course right right <laughs> well maybe a realistic ending well possibly possibly but um but yeah so that kind of started my um my writing career more professionally and and then you ended up uh getting sober and i'm assuming things got a lot better <laughs> yeah i got into recovery in new york uh-huh. yeah and um through first off you know um our sister program alan mm-hmm. um because at the time my brother was hitting a bottom my father who was always a drinker was not doing great and Every guy ever dated, basically, (laughs) was like, you know, I had that thing of, you know, sort of lower companions in terms of, like, his disease looked worse than mine, so I didn't have to look at my own kind of thing, and that sustained me for a while until it didn't, you know, because it, it, as we know, it's not really about the substances, it's about the core beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, and how, you know, how obsessed are you with the substance and what right. impact and does it make your life unmanageable and Well, absolutely. You know. Yeah. And then what it what is it covering up? You know, right. like really, you know, the causes and conditions are still under there. Yeah. So, you know, the work that one gets to do in recovery is so much about un you know, unpeeling that yeah. that onion that yeah. is forever you know, leading us to a deeper place of truth in our own you know, um, journey of finding out who we are and why we're here is kind of right. what I feel, you know. What was it um, masking in your case? Well, I think, you know, like even like back in those fun punk rock days, I was pretty shut down, mm-hmm. you know, like I wasn't expressing myself creatively fully, you know, I was really fortunate to, you know, have a few opportunities to do that, but, you know, very classically low self-esteem, um, I don't blame my parents for my ism, but 
I think growing up in an alcoholic home, my mother was also a prescription drug addict and possibly a narcissist. Yeah. And, you know, so the... And inter- sensing some, <laughs> some inspiration for your movie. Just a, just a tad, just a tad, yeah. you know. And again, I have so much compassion for her and my father and, you know, and how painful it was for them, you mm-hmm. know, to deal with life on life's terms. They were just doing the best they could for real. And yet, that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So... There wasn't a lot of room to be um, to be myself, mm-hmm. really. I mean, that's kind of sounds so simple, but that's really what it was. Um, so, you know, in finding recovery, I started to really, you know, find out who I am and why I'm here, you mm-hmm. know, and what I'm doing and, and what's important to me and what my beliefs are. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that just feels like life work sometimes because yeah. I still hear, like, you know, voices in my head in terms of like, oh, you know, a belief system that really isn't mine. And it's like, where did I find that from? You know, yeah. oh, maybe that was my mother's. Maybe that isn't really mine. Or maybe that's like something I heard, you know, from my dad or just the energy in the house growing up, you know? Like what? Like, you know, well, money's everything or what, what were the ones? Well, they were hippies. So, you know, it was all about like, you know, stick it to the man kind of stuff, you know, right. and, and that in, in that people with money are evil or not, you know, necessarily, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, um, a lot of mixed messages. I mean, basically, you know, this will sum it up pretty good. We drove Jaguars and had food stamps. Wow. So... It was confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't quite know where we stood in all of it. And, um, yeah. you know, it was, a little, it was a little mixed up. That's so interesting. Yeah, I grew up with some real mixed messages about money, too. And I, um, that's more extreme. But, yeah, it was mm. definitely, like, all the money in the world for certain things. And then you were a spoiled brat if you wanted some, like, really basic stuff. <laughs> You know, right. it's like this, I don't know if you have this, you vacillate between like deprivation and indulgence sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, it, working out the money thing is an interesting Huge. working out one's relationship with that. You Huge. know, for Huge. me, I think, you know, my, I felt my family was so materialistic and valued it so much. And my dad had said to me once, I remember going, he was talking about the, his, the business that he had for many years and I go, well, were you happy then? And he just looked at me really confused and he goes, well, I was making money. Like, he really thought those were the same mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I didn't care about money at all. Why else would you become a writer unless you didn't care about money? Right. And now I've learned, however, you know, 12, I think I was about 12 years sober, I was like, I want to make money. I want to be creative, but I want to make money too. And mm-hmm. there's nothing shameful about mm-hmm. that. You know, where do you stand on that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, time and energy, you know, it's, it's, we're worth it. Yeah. You know, and I do think it's an esteem issue at this point. You know, it really, there's nothing, uh, you know, um, moral about being broke. Yeah. You know, it's not, that's not the point. But, right. you know, again, it fed right into the punk rock stuff too. Which, you know, ironically, you know, has been monetized to death. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean, nothing's sacred, but I think, um, you know, when you were talking, I was just thinking about, like, yeah, that balance, you know, finding that middle ground, the gray area, mm-hmm. we, you know, because it isn't about, you know, I know that money is not my higher power, I know that money does not bring me happiness, 
However, neither does being broke. Yeah. You know? And I think there is something in between of being able to have value of my own talents and, mm-hmm. and generosity of spirit, mm-hmm. which is the energy flow. Mm-hmm. You know, money is just a flow of energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's why they call it cash flow. It's because, yeah. it you know, we don't keep it, we don't hoard it, but we don't, you know, it's like it, it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And, yeah. you know, finding that relationship with money and, and worth has, <laughs> especially in later recoveries, become mm-hmm. sort of the graduate school, mm-hmm. you know, because it's one thing letting go of substances and stuff like that. But as we keep going deeper with the work, it's like, okay, I live in this world and this is the monopoly game that we all play in. Right. So, you know, how do I play this game? You know, if I don't get boardwalk right away, do I like... <laughs> you know, throw the game over, I'm not playing, you know, right. it's like, well, actually, you know, there's Baltic, there you go. <laughs> I just remember that. I was like <laughs> racking my brain, remember a monopoly property. Right, right. But, so, okay, and so then let's talk about, um, how, you know, uh, how the movie came about, and, you know, we were going to get a little bit into the self-harm topic, which I told right. you we've never talked about. Right. Um, would you describe your movie as one that's about self-harm? How do you describe it? Well, Yes, I mean, it is, you know, I call it sort of the journey from self-harm to Mm self-love. And, um, you know, when I first started writing the script, which was over a decade ago, um, I uh, was talking to other women, mostly women. There's definitely a lot of men that self-harm. But my personal uh, relationship with it is that I was not a cutter. Mm-hmm. However, in early recovery, I used to pick up my skin mm-hmm. really badly, you know, and um, to the point where I would <clears throat> like gash my face, you know, mm-hmm. just sort of going into a weird blackout in mm-hmm. the mirror, mm-hmm. which was all connected to, you know, ironically, okay, so I'm an actor and my face is part of what I'm selling. And if I can sabotage that before getting rejected out in right. the world, then I'm already done. You right. know, I'm already done. Right. So you guys can't, you know, do anything to me because I've done it. Now, there's other deeper issues, you know, especially with some of the women that we were getting together in my living room and talking about, and they were cutters or doing other self-destructive behaviors. So we talked a lot about like what is, you know, some is sex abuse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, um, again, like having a maybe narcissistic parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is, is that it's very much rooted in deep, deep self-hatred. Mm-hmm. So, the journey for me with that was to, you know, stop the behavior. And I certainly didn't do it alone. And I, and it didn't happen overnight. It was Mm -hmm. really painful for many, many years. And, you know, I'm a big fan of therapy Mm -hmm. and outside help. Um, and eventually, you know, through all different kinds of therapy and stuff. And then really honestly, and I heard this beautiful thing. Um, we had a screening of perfection, like I said, um, on self-injury awareness day, which mm-hmm. is March 1st. And this, um, with this great panel of, of women therapists. And one of the therapists said, you know, we heal socially. And I really love that because, you know, I can write and I can pray and I can do all the work and that's fantastic and important. But that's in a vacuum. You know, mm-hmm. I need to put myself out in the world. And that was part of the, the healing, too, was like when I was newly and re- very newly sober, I, uh, I took a cake mm-hmm. for um, some sobriety years. Mm-hmm. And 
I had a big gash on my face and I didn't want to go because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want anyone to see me. And, you know, and my sponsor at the time said, you know, what, sweetie, we show up no matter what, you know, and it taught me that not only is does it not matter what I look like, mm-hmm. because that's a whole thing that's attached to that. But also, you know, my recovery is stronger than my disease. Mm-hmm. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to keep taking those positive actions in spite of how I feel or what I look like. Right. You know, and that was really powerful. So going back to how things started to shift, it was a combination of many things. You know, it was therapy. It was acupuncture. It was, you know, a lot of journaling and writing. It was calling people. It was telling people what was going on and and outing myself and Mm -hmm. not spending time alone. And then honestly, I got into a relationship with someone and I wasn't living alone anymore. So I wasn't alone to spend hours in the mirror in the self-hatred, you know, weird spiral. And he would yell from the other room, what are you doing in there? And I'd be like, um, nothing. You know, he's like, get out of there. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, it was really beautiful and healing, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm so grateful for all of those things that eventually the behavior of self-harm, you know, was going away. However, still the feelings are there. So Mm -hmm. what do we do with the feelings, Mm -hmm. you know? And again, it's the same tools and it's, you know, a spiritual solution. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't stop myself. Like I, you know, I have free will. Mm -hmm. I have hands. I can harm. I can do it. You know, I had to rely on a higher power and I had to rely on, you know, the love and support of everyone around me and being honest with what's going on Mm -hmm. and helping others, as Mm -hmm. we know, you Mm -hmm. know, getting out of self and Mm -hmm. like, how are you doing today? Did you cut today? Are you hurting yourself today? You know, like what affirmations are you doing? And Mm -hmm. it's just a combination of all those things really shifted stuff. So I started writing a story about it. Right. And, um, and it is a narrative film, as you know, and, uh. And it is very much connected to a mother and daughter relationship, which is semi autobiographical, mm-hmm. not entirely, but you know, it's also growing up in LA, not only in the valley, but just LA, mm-hmm. this whole world that we live in here, which is so much focused on our exterior beauty mm-hmm. or lack thereof, mm-hmm. you know, what we look like, what mm-hmm. you know, what we're presenting out in the world and especially as women, mm-hmm. you know, like this and, you know, in the film, the mother character who was once quite a beauty and, and was, you know, um, sort of rewarded for that as being a model and stuff like that, she is aging, mm-hmm. as we all will and mm-hmm. do. And she couldn't cope with it very well and was really struggling with a lot of self-hatred within that. So it's the duality of, you know, the daughter character, you know, hurting herself and cutting, and then the mother character going out and getting plastic surgery because she's trying to maintain this idea of youth. And it's the, it's the other side of the coin. It's just like, right. Right. you know, as we know, it's, it's, it's an inside job. Yeah, it's, um, oh, and having sex with young boys. That's, that was her <laughs> other coping skill. Well, you know. You know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> Speaking of um, the male gender, uh, previous podcast guest Jeff Cooper is in the movie. Yes, he is. One of my favorite of all time. Oh, my God, he's so lovely. I yeah. read his newsletter every morning, so I feel like I have his voice in my head all mm, day. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was great in it. 
So and so, what's the status of the movie now? How could people see it? Well, it's available on video on demand starting June first. Um, Great Verizon. Right. And it's through a network called Cinemoi, mm-hmm. which is a really kind of cool. Um, it's an international uh, uh, cable network that you know they show a lot of foreign films and sort of classic films. And I'm very honored that they are showing Perfection as well. They, that's available, like that's sort of screening randomly, but it will be on their network um, to watch video on demand. This is such good timing then, much better yeah. timing than yeah. when we talked before. Absolutely, yeah. And so people can, can you have to buy it? How does that work? Um, yeah, uh, you just go to their website and like, again, it's connected with Verizon and you can download the film. I don't know exactly how much yeah. it costs. But, but yeah. well worth it. Well, I should hope so. Yeah, yeah. So, well, is there anything else? Um, you know, we can start to wrap up. Is there anything mm. else that you want listeners to know about your story, your experience, the movie, anything like that? Sure. Well, you know, with this film, which is not only a journey within the film to get it made, was like such a journey. Yeah, if you started writing it a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we really made it for like. You know, we never had a proper budget. And um, a very good friend of mine at the time, Annette Murphy, just said, look, I'll produce it with you, and let's just start shooting on the weekends. And Because uh, we, we tried to do all the traditional route. And basically, we had lots of meetings, and, you know, the script was... You know, getting uh, nominated for awards and stuff, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, no one was showing us any cash. So we started shooting on the weekends, and we shot on the weekends for two and a half years, which was amazing that the people involved stayed involved for yeah. that long. And we were not able to pay them. And, um, you know, my my hope is that we can actually uh, make a little money off of this video on demand yeah. so I can pay some of these people. But... You know, I think for the most part, people were very excited to be a part of it because they believed in the story and the mm-hmm. message, which is, again, you know, just that it's an inside job. And, um, you know, we can go from self-hatred to self-love, but we don't do it alone. And right. recently, I just, it was suggested to do like a little workbook to go with the film because I have screened the film to treatment centers and like women's groups and places like that, which I've always really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And um, so I put together like a workbook, which basically is 12 pages of different affirmations and, you know, just part of the journey of how, you know, one can start really focusing on different principles to help with whatever self-hatred's going on. If you're not even a cutter, but more, you know, directed towards people that are into self-harm. Mm-hmm. So that's probably going to be available on the website um, in the next month, probably when around June 1st as well. So, so. people could go and buy it mm-hmm. from the site. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will be screening the film um, to other, like for other treatment centers and places like that, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the country. Um, and probably internationally as well. There's a lot of... Like, it's amazing. In the U.K., they have a very um, huge uh, support network for self-harm. More than here, because like you mentioned, like, people don't talk about it very often. And sadly, it's still very, very prominent in our culture, but it's the kind of thing that is not as sexy and glamorous as 
an alcoholic or maybe even a junkie, you know? No, like, yeah, you I, have like a visceral reaction to it. Yeah. Does, why do you think in England they're more open about it? I have no idea, honestly. I just think that somehow, um, I don't know. I Actually, it's so weird because culturally they don't really talk about things as much, but for some reason... The Brits are so weird. Like they're reserved and yet they have the like most scandalous gossip rags in the world. Oh, there's that. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't sure. think I understand them. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's great. It's great to get that message out. You know, like I said, we ran a couple st- uh, stories on After Party Magazine about the topic. But... Mm. Um, but it's it's really interesting to me. I'm somewhat like of a like of a like cuticle picker, which mm. actually has a name that I've now forgotten. Tri- like, I don't know if it's the triclinamine. It, what no, the, that's the hair. Pulling. That's the hair pulling. Yeah. But it's considered now um, a, a subset of OCD. Yeah. Which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's anxiety. Yeah. It's anxiety, and it's doing something with our hands, and yeah. you know, and in the workbook I wrote about that, and just gave some like alternative things you can do with your hands because yeah. literally. You know, what do you do when you have that anxiety? You know, right. it's like we. What do you do? Well, for an example, you know, there. I mean, look, they seem silly, but you just sort of have to try them. But Breathe. Some, well, absolutely. Oh, the rubber band thing. Well, that feels a little abusive, though. Honestly. Really, really. Well, like snapping a rubber band. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Personally, it doesn't work for yeah. me. But doing something creative. Yeah. Um, like needlepoint. Or right. knitting, or yeah. cooking, or you know, um, uh, what else? I had some other things. Yeah, there. but you know, just basically finding things with your hands, you know, or petting. You know, if you have a pet, yeah, you know, an animal, you know, yeah. like soothing stuff, like just taking away the thing that's you know the anxiety provoking thing and finding a way to self soothe because that's basically oddly enough what we're trying to do. Yeah, but. It's not really working. No, but you get the endorphin rush and you can zone out. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I've just had that experience with just sort of the finger stuff mm-hmm. and like a mild version. It's mm-hmm. just that ability to kind of exist but be a little bit removed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and then I think that's just that funny inner work we get to do around like it's actually okay to be in the moment. Yeah. Like being in the present is the only safe place to be. Yeah, I mean, that's a big Jeff Cover thing. And mm-hmm. he always says, you know, sort of, you know, if you get off your phone, the reward is is immediate. I know for me, I think about it all the time when I go in a place and I'm like, don't take your phone out. You're in Starbucks. Don't take your phone out. And then I'm like, I'm not going to shame myself for taking my phone out. You know, it's okay. Even if the supposed reward, I get, you know, I don't enjoy that process of getting to whatever the glorious moment you know, being in the moment and not distracted is like... I know, but just think of it. And believe me, I don't do this perfectly at all, any of it. But when you have an opportunity to look in someone's eyes and really just take them in, as opposed to looking down at your phone... Right. Like, think about it. Yeah. It's way more rewarding. It's intimate and it's kind of scary. Yeah. But it's kind of really fabulous, too. Because yeah. it's real. You know? It's yeah. real. Yeah. Well, that's a good note to end on, y- y'all. <laughs> go, turn this off, look into someone's eyes, or listen to it together. Okay, so that was Christina Beck on After Party Pod, your favorite podcast about addiction and recovery. Speaking of which, if it is your favorite, go subscribe to it. Go review it on iTunes. We love you for that. And when I say we, I mean I. See you next time.